Well, I'd like to begin this morning by talking to you about how we are going to do our part in uh, reaching out uh, to those who are hurting in Haiti. Over the last uh, couple of weeks, um, Haiti has been all over our television screens, and uh, it's predicted that 200,000 people uh, will die from the devastation of the earthquake. And uh, this past week, while I was spending some time in prayer, um, it just kind of hit me, what does 200,000 people, what does that look like, that they're you know, killed just like that? And I thought about Delaware County, which has about 115,000 people. And I thought, well, you know what, that would be, if you live in Delaware County, every single one of us would be dead. And then I thought a little bit more about, well, that's not enough. There's still more. And so I looked up on the census, and if you included Henry County and Randolph County and Blackford County, all four counties, you add them all up together, and we would hit 200,000. So all of those counties, every single person in those four counties, dead. And my heart was just so heavy within that, and I thought, how are we going to respond? How are we as a church here in Muncie, Indiana, where life is pretty comfortable, how are we going to respond? And so it came to me that coming up on February 14th is Valentine's Day. And it's a day in which we typically show kindnesses and acts of love to other people. But what I was thinking about, what if all of us, decided whatever we were going to spend for Valentine's Day, we just took that money and we gave a huge love gift to people who are hurting in Haiti. And so I shared this a little bit with Jennifer Wilson, who is our missions coordinator, who's actually in Haiti right now with the team. And she's seeking out ways of how we're going to be able to help orphan kids that are there. And I shared this with a few of the other leaders in the JAR, And everyone was like, yeah, we want to do this, and let's try to figure out specific things that we can do. I just found out this week from World Vision that for $20, you can provide clean water and get it to someone in Haiti within the next couple of weeks. And you can do that and provide water for them for an extended period of time, 20 bucks. And so I've been thinking about this more, and uh, on February 14th, we'll be taking an offering of how we can be able to care for the people of Haiti. And what I'd encourage you to do is be praying for Jennifer and the team that's down there now, and for us as a church, how can we come together to be able to care for that need? And uh, while we're doing that, let's just take some time right now to be praying for the people of Haiti. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the many blessings that you provide for each one of us, both seen and unseen. And today as we sit here in comfort, under shelter, with all of our needs, we know right now they're going to be taken care of today. But we think about 2,000 miles away in Haiti, people are dying People are mourning. People are hurting. People will go to bed tonight hungry, malnourished. 
They'll be sleeping on the streets because there's nowhere else for them to sleep. Children will be crying out to their parents who are not there because they're dead. Orphans, God, are walking around the streets. In a daze, because there's no one there for them. People are begging for clean water and clothes and shelter. And compassionate God, I pray right now in boldness that God, you would send your compassion to the people of Haiti. That as Christians, we would grab each other's arms, and at least in our small little way as this church, God, that you would show us how we might be able to give of ourselves and respond with generous hearts when Valentine's Day comes, that we would give so that others might live. God, the Bible says that to whom much is given, much is required. And Lord, everyone in this room has been given so much, regardless of what they're going through right now. So remind us this week how we can reach out and meet this great need. God, be with Jennifer Wilson today and her team that's in Haiti. Would you use them in a mighty way for your glory and for your honor? And would you give us the knowledge of a church to know how we can do our part to be able to care for those who are hurting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are concluding our series, Depend in 2010. And uh, we started at the very beginning of the year talking about how we could depend more upon God then we depend upon ourselves, or then we depend upon people around us. Now, who was here on the very first Sunday of the year? Raise your hand for a second, okay? Good. About 50% of us. Uh, and what that tells me is that's called retention. And that's a good thing. We like it when people come back, you know, each Sunday. That's a good thing. And churches work best when that happens. Okay, how many of you would admit that you have been here every single Sunday of the new year? Why don't you raise your hand? Okay, now you're braggers, and that's okay. And you'll get a sticker on the chart, we know that. Now God doesn't love you anymore, it just means you've learned a lot more, okay? And so for your part of that journey, you're growing and you're learning. Now, personally, I have really loved this series because what it's done is it's brought all of us back to kind of the basics of what following Jesus and Christianity is about. And you know what I've learned is that the older that I get, the less that I know about God and the Bible and prayer and community. Because whether you've only been coming since the beginning of the year, today's your first Sunday of the year, or you've been coming constantly for a long period of time, I have a feeling, if you're like me, you've learned a lot of new stuff over the past couple of weeks. I mean, all of us know that, yeah, I probably should read my Bible a little bit more. I probably should 
pray a little bit more. I probably should get a part of a small group. We all know this, but are we doing it? And as I've thought about this more and more, it just has hit me very much so that as we close this series today, that regardless of where we're at in our Christian faith, that we need to commit to these four things. That these are our four goals, not just for today, but for throughout the whole year. And so we're going to go ahead and we'll pull them up here and we'll read these together. Okay? So we'll read these together. You'll say the word read and then we'll do underneath it. And each one of them will have a little word up there. Okay? So let's do this first one. Read. Set aside time each day to read and reflect on the Bible. That's our first goal. Here's another one. Relate with God. Spend time alone with God in prayer each day. Doesn't have to be a long time, but a minute would be great. Last one. Relate with others. Share in community with a small group of people regularly. Now, that one hit home for us this week. Jennifer's grandmother died uh, last Friday. And when Monday came, when we were at the visitation, all of a sudden, people in our small group, one after another, started coming there. They got flowers, they made food, they provided all the needs that we had. And people were asking us, how can we help? Now some of you might think, well, yeah, you're the pastor. They have to do it for you, right? But the reality is, folks, they do it for anyone who's ever in need. And so it's really important that you fill out that card today and you make a commitment to connect into a small group. Now, you can get any of those on CD or you can listen to them online. And if you haven't, I'd encourage you to do that. They're all free. You can pick them up at the connection table, those three teachings. But today, what I want us to look at as we close the series is by talking about our fourth goal, which is called reaching out. Now, let's read this one together. It's the last one. Reach out. Seek out two people who are not connected with Christ or the church. Pray for them and start building a relationship with them. Now, if you would, pull out this little card that was in your program. That means everyone. Just pull it out for a second. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is to, on this top line, to put both your first and last name. Okay? Your first and your last name. Now, if you're not sure you know both, just ask me. We could probably help you out, okay? So you write down your first and your last name up there. And then what I'd like you to do is think about two people who are disconnected from Christ or the church... And that you would write their names down. Now these need to be people who you connect with weekly. I'm not talking about Aunt Susie from Idaho. You know? You don't meet with her. You don't connect with her. So I'm talking about people that you connect with weekly. And what I'd like you to choose is either a family person or a friend. And then on the other one, either a neighbor or a co-worker. Okay? So a family member or a friend, and then a neighbor or a co-worker. Now, don't be overachievers and put four names down. 
Just picked one, either a family or a friend, and then a neighbor or a coworker. Everyone got this? Shake your head, even if you don't. Okay, that's good. Everybody got this. Okay, good. And uh, you're going to have time throughout this teaching to do this. You can do it now if you want to, but any time throughout. And put down your first and last name. You don't have to necessarily worry about your friends, but your first and last will help us to do that. Now, right now, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask that God, by His Spirit, would come and He would let you know who those two names are sometime throughout our time uh, together this morning. So, let's pray. God, I pray that you would reveal to each person here two people that they connect with weekly, but who are disconnected from you or your church. I pray, God, that you would speak the names of those persons to each person in this place very clearly and distinctly. And that sometime throughout the teaching, God, you might prompt them to write down that person's name. And then give them the strength, God, to begin to start praying for and reaching out to those people throughout this next year. And my prayer right now, God, a bold prayer, but through your son's name, Jesus, I pray that we might see those two people that each of us write down come into a relationship with you this year, that they would depend upon you this year, and that we as a church might be able to see them walk through these doors and their lives changed because we prayed for them. God, I ask you to do that for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when it comes right down to it, the pinnacle of the Christian faith is people. Christianity is all about people. People are kind of the bullseye for God. When God gets his bow and arrow out, The bullseye, the focus of what he wants to hit, is people. He wants them to be his target. We're his number one priority. And when Jesus came to earth, people were job one. And so that means that people are number one for God. And if people are the number one priority for God, then people should be the number one priority for us. But let me ask you this this morning. Who bugs you, bothers you, and drives you nuts? Don't say a name. People, right? And yet, that is the pinnacle of the Christian faith. The Christian journey says this. It's all about this. Leading people into a relationship with God. That's what it comes down to. Leading people into a relationship with God. Now, no one has perfected this more than Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus came to earth, he was all about people. Every single day, about people. And he modeled this to his 12 disciples, and he wants us to mimic how we would also be able to model after him Reaching out to people. 
So for the rest of our time, what I want to talk about are three key steps that Jesus used to lead people into a relationship with this Heavenly Father. Three key steps that Jesus used to lead people into a relationship with God. The first step is this. He spent time with people. He spent time with people. In other words, he hung out with people on their turf. He met them where they were at, not where he thought they should be. He didn't try to force any rules or regulations or demands on them. He didn't try to be Mr. Religious. He just spent time with people. Every day, each day, spending time with people. In fact, he was all about people and building relationships with them. I think one of the most powerful stories that we find in the entire Bible is found in John 4. It's the story of the woman at the well. And you guys can read this this week. It's in your program. Take it home, read it, kind of connect with it. But this story begins as Jesus is with his 12 disciples, his 12 best friends. And as they're hanging out together, they begin to start walking in the middle of the day. It's hot. It's extremely kind of unbearable. And they're looking for a place to get a drink. And then they look up and they notice in a distance that there is a woman who is standing by a well. And the scripture tells us that this woman had been married five times, divorced five times, and she was living with a man who was not her husband now. And Jesus and the disciples begin to head up to the well to get a drink. But when the disciples start walking up, they kind of look at the woman and they size her up and they're like, man, we're going to go eat somewhere else. I mean, this woman, we can already tell just by looking at her. She's kind of messed up. We're going to go off. We're going to go have lunch somewhere else. Now, I'm sure the rest of the disciples were there saying, Jesus, why don't you come with us? But Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to pull out of my circle of comfort right now. And I'm going to go spend some time with this woman. You guys go ahead, you go to lunch, go on down there, but I'm going to stay here. And he makes a turn, and he walks away from his friends, and he walks towards the well. And he walks around the well, and he reaches his hand out to this woman. Now this woman is probably expecting him to either spit on him, to reject her, or do something. You see, at this time, uh, women were second-class citizens. And in this culture, if you were a rabbi, which is just a Hebrew word for the word teacher, and Jesus was a teacher, women were not even able to get close to teachers during that day. But Jesus is different. He walks right up to the woman. He reaches out his hand. He reaches out in conversation. He starts to talk about water. And she gets him some water, and eventually he talks about not just water, but living water. Water that she will never have to thirst for again. And she comes to faith in God. 
And if you read the text, what she does is she runs to her hometown then and she drags like half of the town back to Jesus and he has to teach for two days. And it says that in the text, many people cross the line of faith because of this five divorced woman at a well. And they join God's family. And you know why this happened? This all happened because Jesus chose to leave his circle of comfort and to take a walk to the well. He simply walked up and he said, I'm going to hang out with you. Then he hung out with her and as he got to know her a little bit better, she began to start telling a little bit about herself. And we, we don't really know how it's going to turn out when you begin the story. Jesus doesn't know what this woman is going to do. But as he spent time with her, she began to just open up to him and reveal herself. And he was able to lead her into a relationship with his father. At the age of 30, I looked in the mirror one day and I took a spiritual evaluation of myself. I had pastored a church for five years in which the church had doubled in size. I was a good communicator and a good leader. I was going to do my master's to become even a better communicator and a better leader for the church. I'd started building some of the foundation blocks for this place called the Jar. But when I looked around at every single person I knew, every person I knew was a Christian. They were the church lady. I mean, I had so many Christians around me that even the dogs were Christians, you know? And I sensed God's Spirit telling me in the middle of that, I didn't call you to be the pastor of the Huddle Cuddle Church. You know, you and me and no mo. you know? Now, I would love to say that when I first heard that prompting, I was like, oh God, you're so right. I just need to connect with people who are far from you. And so I started going, knocking at every door in the neighborhood and asking people, hey, you know, let's be friends. No, I didn't do that. It took several promptings from God. You know what I did? I went back to my house on 4101 West Robinwood Drive. I barricaded myself in my home, and I whined. And I said, God, why are you being so unfair? Why aren't you growing the church? And then I stayed barricaded for a while until one day I looked out my window, and I sensed a whisper from God. And this was the whisper. Take out the trash. Now that's kind of weird. I'm thinking, take out the trash? I don't want to take out the trash. It's cold. I thought, well, I better get all the baskets, you know, everywhere else. And then I'll put it on, you know, kind of delay this process. And I sensed again, God just kind of say, take out the trash. So I went out to our trash can, which is that big green can. If you live in uh, Muncie, everyone's got them. There's no trash in there. And I take this empty trash can all the way to the end of the driveway. And as I'm walking down, all of a sudden my neighbor starts walking out about the same time with trash. But I'm sure he had trash in his can. 
And I walked across the street and I introduced myself and I simply said, hey, my name's Chris. And he said, hey, my name's Phil. We talked just a little bit and then we both went into our own homes. And then I got all my trash from the house and then I went back out a second time, put the trash in the trash can. Now, over the next year, Phil and I hung out together a lot. We shoveled driveways together. We had dozens of talks. We went to football games together, watched sporting events at each other's house. Mainly, we just hung out. And before long, there opened up enough of a uh, friendship that he shared about a painful divorce that he had gone through just a few years earlier. And how he had just kind of drifted away from God and the church. And so another day, I decided that I'd just walk across the road again, and I invited him to go on a mission trip to Mexico. This was a mission trip for anyone who didn't have a relationship with God or who was disconnected from the church. Phil was okay with doing that. And to my amazement, his wife agreed to come as well. And so we went on the mission trip, we came back, and we started this little place called The Jar in my house. And I walked across the street again, and I said, hey, why don't you come and be a part of this Bible study that met in my house? And Phil came over, and Phil has been a part of The Jar, connecting with it in different ways since then. But it all started with me just reaching out, and walking across the street. Folks, I don't want you to ever underestimate how powerful it is to spend time with people who are disconnected from God or from His church. Because when you spend time with people who are far from God, eventually what happens is they open up in conversation. And before long, you have opportunities to plant seeds in their life to let them know you can live in abundance right now. You don't have to wait. Now, here's the second way that Jesus led people. First of all, he spent time with people. Secondly, he scheduled time to pray for people. He scheduled time to pray for people. Jesus mastered the art of prayer. He was constantly connecting and in communication with his father. In fact, one day, Jesus came to his disciples and he said, You know what? I'll do anything that you guys want me to do. Just name it. I'll do it. And this is what they asked for. They said, Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. You see, Jesus understood the power of prayer. And he realized that... Prayer moves God, and God moves mountains. And so, God can move the mountains in your lives, but also in the lives of your friends. You see, Jesus was not just about praying for me. Oh God, give me stuff. God, come and help me. But He was about praying for other people. And Jesus spent hour upon hour, day upon day, praying for His number one priority in life. And it was people. The bullseye is people. One day, Jesus had spent the entire day healing people. Big, long lines of people who were sick. 
And He would heal each one of them. And the Scripture says this, that there were multitudes of people, thousands of people that He healed each day. And I'm sure that night He went to bed exhausted because person after person healing each one of them. But the Bible says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Another time, there was this large crowd of people who had followed Jesus all day long. They get to the end of the day, and he can tell that people are hungry. And the disciples are like, man, these people are hungry, let's leave. And Jesus says, no, 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 we're not going to leave. Bring whatever food you have, and we'll take care of it. And so they bring five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus is like, okay. And they're like, Jesus, this isn't enough. He says, it's enough. And on that day, he prayed, and a miracle took place where he fed 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. And then after this miracle, this is what the Bible says. Afterward, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. You see, the common theme in both of these scriptures is this. Jesus spent time with people and he prayed. And I have a feeling that what Jesus prayed about each time was he prayed for these people. He prayed that some of these people would get it. That they would realize that this wasn't just a a good man or a teacher, but this was God himself in flesh, God's son. And that they would turn and make a commitment to him. But we know, folks, that not everyone did that. Because after Jesus died, there were only 120 people who were following him. He had healed thousands. He had fed thousands. But at the end, there were only 120 that actually followed him. And everyone was healed and fed in these two stories. And the Bible says this, As often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. He was just constantly praying for people. Asking God to soften their hearts, to let them see the light. To turn from the world, to turn towards Him. To have people give their lives to Him. And Jesus prayed for all people. He prayed for people even up until the last day of His human life. In fact, the night before He was crucified, Jesus prays this prayer to His Father. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples... Also, for all who will ever believe in me. You know what's kind of cool to think about? Is on the night before Jesus died, he was praying for you. He was praying for every single person in this place. And you know who else he was praying for? He was praying for the two people that you'll put on that card. Before he went to the cross, he was praying, asking for his Father to bring people into a relationship with him so that their 
load would be light, not heavy, so that they would not have a hard life, but an abundant life, so that they would live the fullness that God has for them. You know, folks, just as Jesus prayed for us, he wants us to pray for other people. He wants us to pray particularly for those two people who might be disconnected from him, but who we connect with regularly. Now, I just want you to realize that if you take this seriously and you pray for these two people, this is not probably going to happen. They're not going to walk to your house one day. I want Jesus. Could you just give me Jesus? Give me Jesus. I want to know the Bible. Give me the Bible. Teach me how to pray. I want to know it all. Just show it to me. It ain't going to happen. If people do that, you better check their pulse. See if they're like still on planet Earth, okay? Most of the time, it doesn't happen that way. But often, it takes weeks or months or even years. And this is what's going to happen. You'll be tempted, you'll write their names down today, but you'll be tempted a week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now to stop praying for them. And Satan will whisper something in your ear like, they're not worth it. They were worth it for Jesus. They're worth it for you to intercede and pray for them. Now, the plan that I want to give you this morning is a plan that we've used similarly uh, throughout the time that we've been here at the JAR. And it's called the 222 plan. 222 plan. And I think it'll come up on the board. Maybe. There it is. And basically, what you do is you take two people, and at 2 p.m. each day, you pray for two minutes. That's it. I've set my alarm clock on my uh, phone, 2 o'clock, that I pray for my two people. Now, don't be overachievers, because this is what some of you are going to do. Tomorrow, you'll be all prepped up and fired up, and you'll go, I'm going to pray five minutes. And then you'll be like, you won't pray for them anymore the whole week. Just one minute, folks. One minute per person. That's it. You know, we've done this ever since we started the jar, and some of you are sitting in seats right now because people prayed for you. That's why you're here. People prayed, God answered the prayer, and your life is better because someone prayed for you. I can think of one guy that I prayed for just one minute each day. I met him playing uh, Y basketball. We coached it. His son played, and I was the coach, and he was my assistant. When he first found out that I was the pastor, he was like, oh gosh, not this. But over time, I got to know him a little bit better. We went to some games together. We connected more. And 14 months after one-minute prayers each day, he and his wife were baptized, accepted Christ as Lord, and they're home. Now another guy took a little bit longer. He's uh, here today. He's one of my best friends, and I've shared his story before. In fact, I interviewed him last year. His name is Kenny Davis. Now, Kenny and I met on a basketball court. The reason he liked me was when I got fouled on the court, I got up and pushed the other guy back. Now, this was before I was 
you know, the pastor of the jar. So uh, sometimes I still want to push people, but I, you know, I vote against it, I guess. But before long, Kenny and I, I just walked across the basketball court. We became friends. We would go to Southside basketball games together, and uh, we would hear F-bombs coming from every single person, pretty much. And we'd hang out together. And then we went golfing together in the summer. And you would think, after a period of time, as these one-minute prayers that I was praying for Kenny this whole time, you'd say, ah, I bet he came right to God, right? Like, there was this openness. Well, he was open to things of God, but it didn't take one year or two years or three years or four years or five years or six or seven or eight. It took nine years of one-minute prayers. And so many times I wanted to give up and say, forget it. But you see, when Kenny's mom died, about 18 months ago, and I was the one who was there, spending time praying for him daily, he just told me, I'm ready. And I'm so glad because my friend and I will be in heaven together. Not because of me, but because of God. And because of this little plan of praying for one person for one minute each day. So let me ask you, who could be your next Kenny on your card? That you could just pray for one minute a day. And I'm just telling you, I've done this since we started the jar over and over again. And because of that, people have been led into a relationship with God because of it. Okay, so Jesus spent time with people. He scheduled prayer with people. And finally, he showed God's love to people. He showed God's love to people. Now, I know that some of you are sitting there right now, and in your spirit, you're saying this. I understand this bunch. This sounds good. Spend time with people, pray for people, show love. But, you know, actually, that is for the spiritual superstars. And that's not me. I'm not a spiritual superstar. Well, folks, if you're thinking that, you're dead wrong. Because you don't have to be a spiritual superstar. You just have to simply take walks across rooms and basketball courts and driveways and spend time with people and begin relationships. And we can all do this. Every single one of us can do this. This is something that every single person here can decide to do and learn to do. But some of you, you might still be asking, well, why should I do it? Why should I reach out? Why should I walk across rooms? Why should I leave social settings from my friends and reach out to other people? Why should I leave my circle of comfort? And the simple answer is this, folks, because Jesus walked across a room for you. He walked across and reached out his hand to you. And it wasn't just a room, folks, but it was the cosmos. 
Jesus left heaven and he came to earth to reach out to you and to me. The Bible says this. He, Jesus, always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had and he took the nature of a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death on the cross. So here is Jesus in heaven, the ultimate circle of comfort. And he receives the call from this heavenly father to go to planet earth. And he took the longest walk that any human being has ever taken as he walked all the way from heaven to earth for you. And he took on human flesh and he lived among us. And he came to planet earth. And when he came, he wasn't accepted. He wasn't loved. There wasn't this fanfare for him. He was rejected and eventually crucified on a cross because of the walk that he took. And you might just be asking this morning, well, why did he do that? Why would any human being do that? Why would anyone do that? Well, the Bible says this, and let's read it together. But God has shown us how much he loves us. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. Jesus walked. He reached out because of his great love for us. He reached out because of his great love for you. And because of that walk, all of our sins are forgiven. We have a home in heaven because of that walk. And until we see him in heaven one day, this is what Jesus says. What I did, you do. I want you to take walks and to reach out to people. A year ago, I invited people uh, to do the very same thing we're doing today. To take a card, and uh, mine will come up here, and to pray for two people. And the first name there that you can maybe figure out is uh, Lisa. Lisa is my sister. And I started this process, and around Easter, Lisa came to church. And she and her family came for a while, but then kind of got disconnected and didn't stay very long and kind of went off. But every single day, I still pray for one minute each day, and now my daughter Jordan and I, Pray for Lisa, Aunt Lisa, and Jerry, and my nephew Hunter. Now the second name down there is the name Rachel. And this is a really cool story. Rachel lived down the street from me at the previous house that we lived in. And I knew Rachel, she was in high school at that time. And I knew her and I knew her aunt and uncle fairly well. But uh, this was BK. You know what BK stands for? It's not a root beer. Before kids. Okay? And I would say hi to her and I'd hang out with her. But eventually, Rachel graduated from high school and she left. And I never saw her again for years. And a few years later, our church office moved from downtown to where it is now. And one day I walked across the parking lot to Subway 
And when I walked in, there was Rachel. And I started talking to her a little bit, just briefly, and then I walked away. And last year, when I taught on this, I put Rachel's name down. That's the exact card. That's my card. And I love Subway, and so every single day for lunch, if I'm around, I go to Subway to eat, and I'd get to know Rachel a little bit more. And each day, I would pray for her for one minute. And one day, I went through the drive-thru, and she was there, and I decided I'd pay for the person behind me. And when I did that, I gave her the little card that I had, and it said, uh, this is to show God's love in a practical way, no strings attached. And she looked at the card, and she's like, wow, you know, if that's really cool. I'd like to go to a church that might look like that. And not too long after that, uh, we had our second child, Shiloh. And uh, Rachel was pregnant, and she was expecting, and so my wife and I just decided to do some love. And uh, we went and got a little card from Babies R Us, and uh, we gave it to Rachel. And finally, one day, I took the risk, and I walked across the parking lot, and you know that big risk that you're scared about, and I invited her to come to the jar. She picked the worst Sunday because we weren't meeting here. We were meeting at the Civic Theater, And on that particular day, I rapped. Some of you might remember this. Now, if you know anything about me and rapping, you'll know that it does not go together. But I tried. And somehow, she thought it was really, really cool, and she decided, you know what? I think I'll come back again. And she just kept doing that again and again and again. And she's grown closer to God. Now, here's the icing on the cake. During this time, Rachel, at Subway, started talking to one of her co-workers, Caitlin. And she said, Caitlin, you should come sometime. And so I got to meet Caitlin, and we've become really good friends. And now Caitlin comes, and she's growing closer to God. And a couple of months ago, Caitlin reached out to her brother, Jeremy, and said, Jeremy, you should start coming. And so now Jeremy's coming. And all three of them are coming together, along with Tyler Rain, who is uh, Rachel's uh, baby boy. And I just talked with uh, Jeremy this week and had lunch with him. And uh, he said, I'm going to try to get my brother to start coming. Now, folks, this isn't about Chris Bunch. Because I'm a scaredy cat when it comes to doing this kind of stuff. But because I took a walk, All of a sudden, other people's lives have been changed. And you can do the same with your two people. There are two people in your life who you know. You know. You connect with weekly. But they're not connected to God. They're not connected to a church. And they're waiting right now. They're sleeping probably. But they're waiting for someone to spend time with them, to pray for them. To show love to them and to lead them into a relationship with God. So right now I'm going to ask you to take your biggest risk. And I'd like you to take your little card and to go to either one of these poster boards on each side. And when you get there, you can put that little card in a basket that's right underneath it. And then I'd like you to take a marker and don't put first and last names. 
because we don't want anyone freaking out here, just write their first name on them. And then when you're done, come back to your seat, and uh, Derek will be leading us in a closing song. Again, two names, that's it, if you feel comfortable doing it. And they'll lead us, and then come back to your seat. And I'm just telling you it works because Rachel's name was on one of those a year ago. So let's take that time. We're just going to sing um, one more song, and um, as people are finishing up writing up, I just um, ask you just to focus on the words. This is just a song that talks about going out and doing what God wants us to, and that that could be reaching out to to people we we need to reach out to. And so, um, as we as we sing the song, just um, just focus on God and, and the people that you can you can reach out to. So feel free to stand or sit, but we're just going to spend time in worship one more time.
we don't deserve Still in us your love And willingness to serve We can be your hands Faith spread out in this city We can be your hands Faith grab at least of these we can be your hands faith love upon this city we can be your hands faith help them all believe dear gracious God a Savior so divine still in us the words to change one heart at a time we can be your hands faith spread out in this city we can be your hands faith grab the least of these we can be your hands faith love upon this city we can Faith, help them all believe. Let us show your love. Let us spread your grace. Let us prove there's so much more to look forward to every day. upon this city we can be your ends faith love upon this city we can be your ends faith love upon this city we can be your ends faith love upon this city we can be your ends faith spread out in this city we can be your ends Faith, grab the least of these, we can be your ends. Faith, love upon this city, we can be your ends. Faith, help them all Father, we, uh, we desire to be your hands and feet to our uh, world, to our city, but most of all, God, to the two names of the people who are on these walls. God, these aren't just people that we sort of kind of know, but these are people, God, that we have a relationship with. God, we know what you've done in our lives, and we pray right now through the power and authority of Jesus Christ that, God, that the names of these people would be so ingrained upon our hearts that we could not leave without praying each day one minute for them. And, God, we just pray with boldness, believing that in time you will bring them into a relationship with you, and would you use us to do that? 
for your honor and for your glory, we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Pick up a book today before you leave with your uh, small group card.